John and Cacophony tells you, it's the Powder 3 podcast again. And as that version of the theme tells you, it is, well, I suppose technically it could be an Eccleston episode, but it's actually a David Tennant episode because we're being screen accurate because it's a Doctor and Martha story <laughs> we're talking about today. Yes. I'm Kenny Smith. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. It's day 11. And today, I'm delighted to say we're talking about the excellent Sting of the Zygons by that Stephen Cole. Yes, my old mate Steve, who, oh, as listeners will know, is... Um, popped up on a lot of podcasts with me over the past year, particularly on, on Pieces of Eight. That's right, in his capacity as the range editor for the, the Eighth Doctor Adventures. Yes, well done. Mm. Virtually what he said every single yes, day. I know. <laughs> for I 18 know. days. I know. <laughs> bastard. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe you made him say it 18 times. I know. Well, I've got him saying it 18 times again. Right. Coming up soon. Oh, God. I'm going to see, right, the skipping... <laughs> I'll have to try and skip pa- time it so I can skip past that every day. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Steve was one of the people that I didn't actually talk to at, um, oh, at Novel Experiences. I think I took one of his books because I hadn't read whatever it was that I took at that point. I didn't feel I could actually, you know, uh, and I, I think he's one of the few people that Kenny didn't introduce me to. Just about everybody else, yeah. yeah. As listeners, I met Keith Barnfather for the first time, which is ridiculous. <laughs> what a nice man. Yeah, I suppose you can talk about Keith Barnfather being a lovely man because he asked me to do some interviews at Hooverville. He asked me, he wanted to talk to me about BBC books and oh, that's Virgin right, books. Course. And was chatting for about two hours, recording you, you, my thoughts. And you and Mr. Mr. Howe. Yeah, David J. Howe and I giving our thoughts on various books and yeah. thoughts and memories on ones that we particularly enjoyed. And yeah, it was fascinating to suddenly become regarded as an expert in these and a talking well, head. But you probably are. Well, to be fair, you are as well. To, me, to a lesser extent. I've not read as many of the BBC books as you have. But, I've been doing, doing some cramming. In preparation for this podcast, listeners, literally I finished reading Sting of the Zygons two and a half hours ago. Yeah, or about uh, two hours before I arrived. Well, no, about um, 45 minutes before you arrived. (laughs) Finished the book, then I had my tea. Yes, trying to do some cramming because as as we went on, I felt it's not really fair on the authors for me to sort of be sat here and not having read their books. So with the full list in hand, I'm trying to read as many of them as possible so I can give some accurate sort of... some. Not accurate. Some interesting input. So, yes, thing of the Zygons by Stephen Cole, um, the de facto producer of Doctor Who for so long. Yep. My first question is, who are the bad guys in this one? In Sting of the Zygons? Yeah. It's the Cybermen, isn't it? It is, isn't it? No, we're just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Dave just did Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi type Doctor Who hands there. Did I? Um, David Tennant as well, yeah. Um, Doctor do, Who now, now, I'm into, now I'm doing Jonesy. Yep. Jonesy P. Yep. Anyway. Anyway, yes, all good fun. For so, the benefit of our YouTube viewers. Yes, hope you enjoyed that there. Dave, um, for Kenny, me, let's, hello. let's have a quick chat about what the cover blurb service and, and we will have a quick discussion about Very much so. Now, I've got two copies in my hand here. I'll hold them both up for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. We'll probably take a photograph, actually, of, holding, of Kenny and I holding up some of these different editions of some of these books at some point. So, Sting of the Zygons was published April 2007, as season three was going out, which mm-hmm. is marvellous. Um, and the blurb on the back reads... The TARDIS lands the Doctor and Martha in the Lake District in 1909, where a small village has been terrorised by a giant, scaly monster. The search is on for the elusive Beast of Westmoreland, and explorers, naturalists and hunters from across the country are descending on the fells. King Edward VII himself is on his way to join a search, with a knighthood for whoever finds the beast. But there is a more sinister presence at work in the lakes than a mere monster on the rampage, and the Doctor is soon embroiled in the plans of an old and terrifying enemy. As the hunters become the hunted, a desperate battle of wits begins, with the future of the entire world at stake. Featuring the Doctor Martha, as played by David Tennant and Freeman Adjaman in the hit series from BBC Television. 
And the back cover blurb on the Monster Collection reprint from the Space Year 2014 is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, will I read it again? Will I read it again in a silly voice? No. <laughs> will I read it again with my best Zygon voice? No. 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 Anyway, yes, thing of the Zygons. Did you read this at the time? I did. Absolutely. I loved these books when they came out. I mean, I remember when this batch came out, I was able to buy them in my local Sainsbury's. And I could get my nectar points on them as well. Fantastic. They were everywhere at this point, weren't they? I mean, yeah. this was, you know, the other books that came out at the same time being The Last Dodo by Jack and Wiener and Wooden Heart by our pal Martin Day. They were everywhere. It was that kind of golden age, golden era period when the when Doctor Who was everywhere. Yeah, it wasn't just Doctor Who, it was Doctor Huge. He's not lying. Yeah, just excuse the tumbleweed that went yes. past there. But, uh, <laughs> a clock can be hit, a church bell can be heard chiming in the distance. Yeah. But no, this was massive. I mean, I, at the t- I mean, I love Martha. I think Martha's a great companion. And I think that quite often she's overlooked. I mean, I think that maybe she suffered a bit of like a rose backlash. But I think a lot of the people who didn't get Martha probably never had that unrequented love thing. I never experienced that and gone through it. And I think that's why I really like Martha because I can sort of so get her because of that. I love Martha Jones. I think Freema is gorgeous. I'm not going to lie. She's brilliant. She's very, very different from Billy, which is absolutely the right thing to do. She's a much warmer, less sarky sort of character. She's not as snide, to use a word that's very popular up here in Glasgow. Um, and whilst I think you know, I'm not as we all know, I'm not a fan of the Doctor being a romantic lead, but it was done. For, it was done very well. I think Freema's sort of long distance crush was much better, for example, than say what Amy Pond did at the end of that two part Weeping Angel story. But we won't talk about that. I think Freema and Martha are both are both criminally sort of underrated. I think she gets overlooked because she's between Billy and you know Catherine Tate's Donna, who are both hugely popular. And I tell you, my favourite episodes of season four are the ones when she comes back. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, everyone knows that I, I'm a big fan of The Doctor's Daughter. Not anyone else is, but I think it's great. Proper Doctor Who, as I always say. Um, I think Fima's tremendous, and she's caught really, really well in this book. She's absolutely captured perfectly. She is. I think that Steve is absolutely bang on. He understands these Doctors and companions so well, because mm-hmm. obviously he's watched them a lot you know, through the classic era when he oversaw the books. But the thing that really, really just impresses me is just, given that he hadn't really seen much of Martha and Telly at the point. Well, how, exactly. How much he gets right. I, th- I presume, I can only assume that he must have had some, and the other writers at the time would have had some kind of advanced access to the episodes before they went out. You know, I'm, I'm sure they were probably able to watch early, you know, recordings or whatever as part of his research so that she, you know, that Martha is accurate, you know, and obviously DT had been on television for all series before then, so that wouldn't have been as, as difficult. Yep, and Steve will tell us how he did that to get that done very soon. Excellent, because once again, I'm not in on the interviews, listeners. If you think I should be, write and I'll let Kenny know. Or give us a call. You know the number, guys? 0188 No, I'm just kidding. No, no, don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it's 0188 And ask for Noel. Or Mike. Yes, indeed. Depending on your what year it is John Craven is better than Mike Reed that's the that's the conclusion I've come to from watching all the bonus features in season, the season 20 Blu-ray listeners anyway let's get screaming back to the point yes I think um, I mean it's the return of the Zygons I love Zygons yes it's only really I love Zygons don't you mate great mate yeah, the yeah they're, they're kind of like sickos. orange in a orangey red type way tactically way yeah I remember a really good DWM story in the 80s around about the 5th Doctor 
obviously they were used in Day of the Doctor on television and again in the two part Twelve Doctor story and this you know the, the damnedest thing listeners reading this book almost made me want to watch the Peter Capaldi Zygon story again I did watch some of Terror of the Zygons as I was making my tea before Kenny came out this <laughs> evening you know we all know because it's all been said before that they're one of the best monster designs in the original series I always got the sense they were in Day of the Doctor as a little treat for David Tennant because he's always said that he wanted them to come back I wonder if David Tennant read this book can we phone him up and ask him <laughs> hang, on. hang on a second Kenny's infinite address book you see listeners <laughs> listeners you know what we probably could but we're not going to Dave just tell them what I'm holding up on my phone no 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 what does my phone say two words read out the two no, words no I know the listeners, can, the listeners can probably surmise from what I just said that we yeah. that we possibly could phone this person and ask him but we're not going to yeah okay Any, maybe um, you could send an email to his agent or ask yeah. Briggsy to ask him or something yeah um, they're one of the greatest monsters I mean I remember the the Loch Ness Monster novelization was one of the first ones that I read and this book really uses them very very well it's obvious that um that steve's done a bit of research and watched terror of the zygons a couple of times it just it follows on very well it's a good sequel to terror of the zygons without being a sequel and without overdoing it adds a few more details a few interesting ideas in the same way that you know people like gary russell added to you know the ice warriors and the sea devils and stuff in the in the other books so it's um yeah it's great yeah i agree i think also what's in this book's favor is that the whole tone of it and the feel of it, it feels very familiar. It feels very new series. It's very like Tooth and Claw. Well, it's, yeah, I felt, it, to me, it was a cr- the Tooth and Claw influence because it's set in 1909, so it's not that far away from the, the Victorian sort of period. I was sort of thinking, to me, it was a cross between, especially the way the book, the way the second half of the book played out, to me, it felt like a cross between Tooth and Claw and Family of Blood. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. And you've got this small village and some well-defined sort of characters being attacked by some monsters and the Doctor and Martha are running about and you're never quite sure who's who and of course it turns out you know that you know it's, we're assuming that everyone's read the books um, you know there's a glorious bit when you realise that it hasn't been the Doctor at a certain point he's been a Zygon in disguise and I found myself when I was reading it sort of because some of the characters are very old behaviourals and you're sort of wondering is this person a Zygon is this person a Zygon you know and you know Stephen did a great job of sort of seeding little things to make you sort of think what's going on here because Martha's the POV character for so much of it you know you get a lot of that through her eyes all of that stuff's done very very well I think to make a mild criticism there's a few characters were a little bit undefined so at points I was on to flip back and go right who was that again and I have to say I think the cover blurb oversells some of it because there's not really that much with the actual hunting of the monster going on and the king doesn't really appear doesn't appear at all he's just mentioned he's you know he's off stage etc so you kind of I was a bit disappointed that the king didn't turn up and have a couple of lines, but there's a good joke when the doctor says that he's not sure why he was named after a potato, so that was, quite, <laughs> that was quite good. I can forgive it for that, because the rest of it was so good. Yeah, uh, talking of the cover blurb, I have to remember, I actually remember something from the first time that I read this back cover blurb, and it talks about naturalists and hunters, and of course, me being me, I misread oh, it as God. naturists and hunters. <laughs> of course but, you did. But then again, Zygons are naked, so they could be naturists. Yes, which of course brings us to the Bill Baggs Zygon straight to video thing, which is which is probably for the Power of Three Nights um, yes. podcast. We're not going to talk about that here. No, yes. that'll be coming soon. Power <laughs> of Three Nights, where it's going to be a crossover about... with Earth 2, the Earth Two podcast nights, where we talk about other things. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll be talking about Doctor Lou and the filthy effing. No, we won't. No, we won't. No, okay. we won't. Needle scratch here, <laughs> etc. 
No, oh well. Um, anyway, why don't we, instead of talking yes. about Doctor Who, why don't we talk about Doctor Who with Steve Cole? Hi, I'm Steve Cole. I'm the author of Doctor Who Sting of the Zygons. I suppose this must have been a, a bit of a fanish joy for you, given that you'd helped to introduce the Doctor in the new range of novels. And then here we go, we've got bringing back a classic monster. Yeah, it was exciting. It was um, essentially because David Tennant's favourite monsters were the Zygons, I was told. And Justin Richards, the editor then, asked me if I'd like to write a Zygon story, which obviously the answer was, uh-huh, <laughs> yes, please. But there was some doubt as to whether we could actually secure Zygons. We had to, had to clear the rights with Robert Banks Stewart. Stuart Cooper was uh, then the BBC commissioning editor at uh, BBC Books, if not the publishing director, I forget. But it seemed like uh, I was, in a way, being asked to write the novel for Zygons in the knowledge that at the end I might be told we weren't allowed to have Zygons, which was slightly nerve-wracking. Experience, because obviously you can't just uh, tack on monsters. You want to explore them and get deep down into them, and what makes them what makes them zygons into their uh, their full blobby truths. So I was uh, very concerned right the way through the process that at the last minute we wouldn't be able to get zygons. Uh, fears that were compounded when the cover was shown to me, the draft cover, and it had no zygons on it. <laughs> Weirdly, they called it Sting of the Zygons, but didn't show a Zygon. Instead, there was a, uh, it was just a, a couple of uh, Edwardian hunters on a on a moor. So I argue quite strongly that if we had Zygons and were paying for Zygons, we should show them Zygons. <laughs> it didn't seem like rocket science to me. And we were able to uh, get hold of three different Zygon photographs, and I was allowed to pick which one we had. So the Zygon appeared on the cover, um, and uh, I hoped that uh, they would then be more invested in making sure that the Zygons appeared inside. But uh, the whole process was was one that, for me, I was always thinking, what if I have to take out the Zygons at the last minute? How on earth do I restructure this story? Fantastic. I, it's the wonderful things that uh, go on, but you never know. But uh, of <laughs> yes. course, I'm sure that there was a huge sense of relief when you finally got the email from Justin to say, we're good to go. Let's yes, Zygons be had- Zygons. Exactly, we could let Zygons be Zygons, quite literally, uh, which was which was good because you know obviously I've done a few different things with the Zygons in that book, but I was very keen to go back to um, the the well, it's Terran Sticks, wasn't it, in um, the Loch Ness monster target novelisation that gave the Zygons their stings definitively. I mean, it's it's kind of sort of shown on screen, but it's not really clear. I'm not sure whether it's like. Broton is trying to strangle the Doctor or just sort of like give him a quick massage. But if we assume that there are stings in those hands, it becomes a, a scarier situation. So, yes, yeah, Sting of the Zygons was what I wanted to call it. And I didn't want to contradict anything that Mark Morris had set up in the Body Snatchers, which I'd edited quite a long time previously. But nor did I necessarily feel I had to, to follow on from it because that range was ended and no longer in print because the new series was was going to be redoing it so i tried to um get around the stuff of uh of zygons in um victorian times i think there's a kind of a little reference uh or something that could cover it but it doesn't sort of literally follow on 
that's what would be a fairly recent sequel for uh, <laughs> for the Zygons uh, in that time. How did you find capturing Martha? Because I assume at this point you'd probably have been given some advance, either a viewing or some scripts to see. Yes, I had some scripts and went along to Cardiff to watch the opening episodes of the season. So saw Smith and Jones and saw Gridlock. Gridlock was a very interesting one because none of the effects with the macro had been shot. Indeed, a lot of the effects hadn't been shot. So to see that episode, which more than most used uh, green screen, they kept cutting away at the uh, at, at crucial points just to show like pencil drawings of, uh, of like concept art of what the effects would be. So I'll always remember the bit where the macro are attacking the, uh, the space car and Martha and captors are being sh- doing acting for their lives, being shaken around all over the place, running from side to side, and then it cut to this pencil drawing of a macro, sort of like going with this big claws <laughs> there, entirely static, um, and without the music on it as well, was uh, was a slightly surreal experience. But I thought straight away Martha was was lovely, and I really liked the dynamic that uh, that she brought, the new dynamic of a less confident TARDIS team, but still clearly one that get along brilliantly and complement each other very well. So yeah, it was it was great being able to um, give Martha a bit to do. And in true wibbly wobbly timey whiny way, I was even able to give Clara something to do. Clara, the maid who tragically dies, I feel is definitely um, one of the splinters of Clara from the Doctor's timeline when she goes in in uh, Name of the Doctor. Because that makes sense, doesn't it? She's uh, she's gone in. She's sort of like saving him all these different points in his adventures. Clearly, that was Clara, and uh, the doctor doesn't even realise that at that time when he finds her dead in the wardrobe. <laughs> the things you do, I suppose, just based on what you said there, that when you were seeing artwork instead of effects, there were no such thing as macra. <laughs> Very good. Very niche, niche for those of us who who know that story. Give us a, a wee bit of insight into your setting. I suppose the Lake District makes perfect sense if you're going to have somewhere with a scarus and you need somewhere with a large waterway. And given that we've already had a, a story in Scotland, then it's probably the next closest thing. Exactly, yeah. When we had Zygons in uh, Scotland, we had in the Body Snatchers Zygons in Victorian London. So, yes, I wanted to get to that, that sort of like that desolate setting and uh, have plenty of opportunity for. Uh, for exploiting the scenery. So yes, there's a sense of, of wide open nature, but also because it's you know also about the ruling classes and um, Saigon's plans uh, hinge upon royalty. It needed to be somewhere grand and estate-ridden. And uh, also I, I wanted to use um, motor cars and, uh, and technology. Emerging technology was quite important for the story. I wanted it to, uh, yes, to have a, have a interesting feel. The location was always very key to, to those books. We would always be thinking about whether it was going to be taking place forward or backwards in time or in the present day, but you would look for a, a location that was slightly different from what had gone before or what had recently been done. So um, Zygons in the Lake District, there's no holiday, let me tell you, there's no holiday. <laughs> the thing that I particularly felt with it was I very much got that sort of tooth and claw kind of vibe. We've got like the open countryside, obviously, like Tooth and Claw has. You've got this Victorian age group and they've got this monster there as well. And it just it just sort of, I find it very evocative that kind yes. of way. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's something quite scary about such wide open 
natural, slightly desolate places when you have no modern technology to connect you with anything. And uh, indeed, there's a slight mistrust about around technology and like motors and you know, early excavation equipment, things like this. So um, when you're dealing with doubles and you don't know who is who or indeed what is what, unease is is a key word with zygons, I think. So I think the, uh, the setting helps to um, convey that as well, because I think when we're all used to uh, the metropolis or uh, or sort of busier places, when we do go into those wide open, desolate, far less populated places, it can it can come with a sense of unease when we suddenly find there's no Wi-Fi or the uh, the 4G is absent and we're cut off, <laughs> and uh, you suddenly look at this paper, this battered paper OS map, thinking, how does this work? Where do I plug it in? How do I charge it up? So. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's right. Probably the uh, the tooth and claw, uh, which I think works very well, probably informs that sense of uh, of, of tenant adventure. And also by having King Edward the Seventh as well, so just the his presence. Uh, yes, of course. Yes, bit of bit of uh, royalty in there as well, uh, being used for a uh, a different a different cause this time. But I quite liked the idea that it's not the king they want, or even particularly impersonating the king they want. It's the uh, the people who will come to his funeral to mourn are the uh, the targets. So I was quite pleased there was a little bit of misdirection with that. Yeah. How did you find creating a, a Zygon warlord in the form of Brelarn, which is a great name? Brelarn. Yeah, I'm sure warlords love the Br prefix. Well, I mean, you know, you've got a warlord is great fun he gets to say great warlordy things you know and there's something there's something a bit odd about zygons that i i really like and it's the way that you know they don't just look like the people they do their best to inhabit them i mean you know they adopt their foibles they you know you can see the way um the duke of forgill in um, terror of the zygons you know they spent a lot of time <laughs> working out what makes him tick because i suppose they've got access to the brain print and they, they can act in that way but they must love the theatrical that's all i can think of with the zygons because they're, they're really keen cosplayers of of anything and so whether it's a human being or whether it's livestock I was very, very delighted when uh, a Zygon masqueraded as an animal in uh, Day of the Doctor, because I was thinking, yes, see, they can do it. Because again, that was another that was another twist in mind that uh, Zygons don't just have to take the place of people. They can uh, they can do anything. But um, what must a Zygon be thinking masquerading as a as a horse or a cow or something? You know, what's it? <laughs> what's it? What's it thinking there? Yeah, and there you go, and you you preempted Mr. Moffat there again. <laughs> <laughs> the, the horses I go on later on, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, right. I I really like the way you've captured the the tenant doctor. I mean, was it easier than inverted commas second time around having seen him on TV by this point and had a good feel for the whole season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I still unashamedly love the tenth doctor's exploits on television, and uh, indeed, I've just uh, written a ten short stories for him for um, Penguin uh, for Christmas. So he's one of my favourite doctors, and capturing him in print is, uh, yeah, is, is a delight. Uh, his energy and his gobbiness and his sort of offhand arrogance at times, but also his deep compassion for people. Um, it's easy to get those across. So, yeah, I enjoyed writing for Tennant's Doctor, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was exciting for me to uh, put him up against his biggest enemies. <laughs> 
as far as uh, David was concerned. And of course, he, he met them on television later on anyway. But uh, at the time, that was his first meeting with them, I think. So I was uh, I was happy to do that. Yeah, fingers crossed he actually read it. Yeah, I get the impression that he probably would have, given that his passion well, for the so. show. Well, I know he read The Feast of the Drowned because he did it for the audiobook. He had to be paid, <laughs> but he read it. Yeah, read this book and I'll pay you. Yeah. <laughs> There's a threat and a half. Exactly. I read it quite happily. I paid out to read it because... Well, uh, I appreciate that, Kenny. As thousands of other people hopefully did as well. I'm sure they did. Um, yeah, it, was, it, it seemed to go down pretty well. Um, in fact, I... Uh, in terms of sales, I mean, it was it was great, but Sting of the Zygons is also a slightly the slight sting in it for me because that was the final lot of novels that the BBC gave royalties for. They worked out that why are we paying royalties based on this historical precedent from the days when they didn't sell anything when we the same authors will do this stuff just for the advance, and I kind of felt that that was a little unfair having done. Uh, I think Sting was my fourth book for them so i took a quite a long break from uh, writing the tie-in novels after that because i felt it was you know a little unfair on the authors to take it away maybe it makes perfect business sense obviously but uh that's why i vanished from the uh the roster until i uh, came back to edit the range back in uh, 2018. i think it's a really joyous range these books i think they're very much in tune with the tv show and the fact that they were that extra stage of approvals that you didn't have to worry about when you were in charge and then latterly Justin with the EDAs and PDAs. Yes, I mean, it was it was a happy time because the show was so huge, so popular, and there was just a huge sense of confidence around everything, you know, with the production, the merchandise, the tie-in books. There was a huge wave of energy as everyone was so, you know, joyfully caught up in it all. And uh, fingers crossed, we're heading for such times again. So looking forward to that. Absolutely. And of course, you got a reprint as well with a new cover. Oh, yes, for the Monsters Collection. Yes, that was nice that uh, that, uh, that was uh, selected. I was very happy that uh, the Zygons got to, got to run again. And you got a talking book as well with Reggie Yates reading it. And in fact, Reggie Yates would be paid to read it as well. But uh, I wouldn't take <laughs> it in that way. <laughs> yes, I remember... I remember very clearly being phoned up by the uh, producer when Reggie was down there, seeking guidance on how to um, how to say certain things, and also asking what voice the Zygons should use. And I was saying, well, these aren't made up aliens, and of course, why would Reggie know that Zygons are real? Um, <laughs> so, I was, so I was saying, no, they're, they're real, they're monsters. And I was trying to do this type thing. And I say, so how, how does it go again? Can you sort of give it to us again? It's like, yes, they talk like that. Yeah, hoping that my Zygon impression was sort of like reasonable. I've, I've never actually listened to the audiobook, so I don't know. There's, there's a true fact for you. I don't know. Oh, well, I know what you should be spending some of those royalties on next time there's a reprint. <laughs> Definitely. Either that or pick up the phone to Michael Stevens and ask him if he's any surplus stock that he can pop over. <laughs> and he'll say, I don't know. And we'll be we'll be well away. I'm quite impressed by the fact that um, what Reggie does is an impression of an impression, which is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes, which literally could, might not have happened. Who knows what would have happened if they hadn't phoned me up to check about something else? Yeah, um, Zygons. <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> so, how do you look back on the whole thing of the Zygons experience now? 
Yeah, I, I look back uh, fondly. I mean, you, it's like you know, life life goes on while you write it. I remember visiting my sister out in Colorado Springs and being in a um, down in their basement where their spare room was, reading over um, the editorial notes whilst very jet lagged and dehydrated and feeling under attack from the high altitude in Colorado Springs. So feeling really rotten, thinking this is, I don't really want to do these. But, uh, you know, you look back and uh, when it's all done, it comes out and uh, it's, yeah, it's always a happy experience. Even if you are, um, sometimes find yourself in the basement rather than out in the Lake District enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Great chat as always. And uh, yes, fascinating insights. The fact that he got to see some episodes before they were broadcast the fact you got to see gridlock without effects that must have been fascinating Ooh. to see wouldn't it absolutely because let's be honest it has quite a lot of effects yes um that'd be interesting just would it just be would have been dt just jumping off the off the the motor car with the green screen behind him? that's very interesting no i mean it's the good thing about the books and stuff and in, in those days there was such a such a focus I'm not going to say the word control because it's too it's it's, it's it sort of suggests too much but there was a real commitment to consistency so the production team would have been really concerned that Mar Martha's characterization was spot on and, and, you know, and everything about the book just screamed the modern series like the, the first chapter or the prologue whatever that would be the cold open with the Scarrison smashing up and people rolling about and all that and then obviously the Doctor and Martha meeting Victor and Ian and all the other characters I think it definitely would have been a two-parter on television some glorious little cliffhanger moments at times it felt like reading one of the old Target books when you were like you know that novelised a four-parter because every few chapters they'd been exciting bit like there's a bit where a Zygon is going for the Doctor or there's a bit when Martha's in trouble and you sort of think that's an episode ending that's a good bit to put um, you know yesterday's real ticket in and go to the loo or something you know or get off the train at this point you know yep. it was masterfully structured as I said the only thing that kind of disappointed me was that it didn't end up being a, a sort of celebrity historical. It would have been nice if the king had turned up and Martha could have met the king and all that sort of stuff. That would have been nice for Martha, yeah. I think. Um, but the Zygon stuff in it was tremendous. I felt I felt quite sorry for them at points because, you know, they're quite sympathetic. The planet's been destroyed, etc. They're struggling for survival. That's obviously a big part of it. You know, the, the fact that they, they've lost control of the Scarrison, so they're in danger of starving to death. Yep. All that stuff was really, really interesting. And I found myself wondering at points, you know, are there two separate Zygon factions? Why are some of them transporting some of the food in this carriage? Are there two sets of Zygons with one Scarrison each? Is one set fighting the other? There was enough to make you wonder what was going on, and it mm -hmm. didn't all. It kind of fed in gradually. It wasn't there wasn't a massive info dump. It was you know it fed and but of course, and also it wasn't like the case that the story finished once you knew what was going on. There was still plenty of stuff other, you know, to happen. And even just like thinking about it, like the fact that one of the Zygons turned into the dog or the cows were some Zygons in yeah. disguise. All that was great, and that kind of obviously makes me think that Mister Moffat had read this book before he wrote Day of the Doctor. That's exactly what I was thinking. That is absolutely perfectly on the money. You know, yeah, it's, it's getting those. I was I'm like, gonna need a new horse. <laughs> you know that bit. Yeah. Which every time I watch it makes me laugh and have makes snot come out. <laughs> I do that like was... snot and poop. Do you know what I've been rewatching for the last few nights? Tell me the Jackass movies. Interesting. I haven't seen any of them. Oh, Jackass. You and my sister would go on very well. She loves all that stuff. Oh, good. Um, no, yes, listeners. Which part of Day of the Doctor made you laugh the most and made snot come out? Um, for me, it, it, it was always the. I'm gonna need a new horse. <laughs> um, just amazing. 
it was the horse because yep. he thinks it's the Queen it's so funny yeah I'm going to go and watch Day of the Doctor as soon as we finish recording ah Taro there you are said the Doctor acting casual as he moved a little to the right blocking Brillan's body from view he smiled it's me Felix Felix you were supposed to stay here and assist me what happened I encountered some humans but I dealt with them he smiled tightly have you made the repairs? The healing transmissions were accepted and our control matrix re-established by that vibration in the air. It's the engine of a motor car. Silence it, snarled Taro. The diastelic therapy has left the scarrison sensitive to vibration. Aggressive thought impulses may weaken the control matrix. As if on cue, the scarrison roared again. The doctor jumped as the chains at its neck fell away, clanking and clanging as they tumbled to the ground, and he saw that Brillan was back on his feet. Kill the doctor, Taro! The warlord screamed. What? The doctor protested. Fair's fair. Felix pretended to be me. Taro grabbed for the doctor's neck. Her fingers caught his flesh, and the sting shot through him. Gasping with pain, he sank to his knees. Then... A shadow fell over him as the scarrison's head blotted out the sun. Die, Doctor, hissed Taro, her grip tightening on his throat. No human can survive the full power of a Zygon sting. You're forgetting, Taro, the Doctor gasped. I'm not human. Bringing up both his arms, he broke her grip, pushed her away, then staggered back to his feet. His neck was burning. He could feel the alien toxins bubbling beneath the surface, sapping his strength. And now Brillan was coming at him again. Gritting his teeth, the doctor stumbled away, circled round behind a ditch digger. The engine noise must be silenced, Commander, Taro shouted. Go then, Brillan hissed. I shall deal with this one. Doctor, yelled Martha. He turned to find her running down the slope towards him, waving the sonic in one hand, clutching something else in the other. The sight of her gave him strength, and he staggered to join her. Did you find the activator? She pulled a face. Yeah, but it's a bit broken. He grabbed it from her, held the sonic to it, and buzzed. No residual delta waves, he muttered. Now it's just a regular signalling device. He threw it away. We can't send the Scarrison back to sleep. Brillan was slowly approaching. You have lost, Doctor. With the Scarrison returned to our control, we have a fresh source of food. A ghastly hiss escaped the Zygon's lips as it reached out its blood-soaked arms to him. As Brillan lumbered forwards, a gunshot echoed out. The ground spat shards into the air, peppering the Zygon's feet. The Doctor jumped back and Brillan turned to face this new threat. No, I could... I mean, as I say, I started this... What night was it? Wednesday or Thursday when I read started this the next morning, but I was working Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday, so I didn't get a chance to read too much of it, but between the two halves of my shift yesterday did I mention I was working for Gary Newman yesterday, listeners? Did I mention that elsewhere or, have I, or am I going to mention it in another episode? Wait and see. I read, read about, what, 70 pages of it yesterday and today I finished it and it was glorious. It was great fun. I think I've said in the past in the podcast, off the back of novel, novel experiences earlier this year, I was reminded of how much reading of Doctor Who books is a big part of my fandom in the 80s and 90s and it's I'm enjoying reading Doctor Who books again I tell you it's great you and this, this one this one was a joy quite frankly if only there was a podcast out there that covered Doctor Who novels and sort of chatted with the writers and how they came to be I think there's a few there's, there's, there's several isn't there 
Yeah. Um, but there's of course, the power of three. There's pieces of eight. The piece of eight, and I know that my friend Ross has just been on one. Yeah. Ross from a, an excellent podcast called Gallifrey's Most Wanted, and mm-hmm. also an excellent comedy podcast called Stop Team Up, and he's also an occasional contributor like Kenny is to the Earth Two podcast. He's just been on one, but for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called. Well, can I recommend one called the the All New Adventures of the Doctor Who Book Club with Matt from Minnesota and Chris from South London? Really good podcast. In fact, we met Chris at Novel Experiences. He came up for that one. Really good podcast where they dissect a novel every month. They go through it, give their thoughts. And some of the ones we've actually featured in this run are featured. So it's quite good listening to those. So definitely recommend the Doctor Book Club, the all new adventures of the Doctor Book Club. Uh, Really good listen. Uh, Highly recommended. And there's so many good Doctor Who ones out there there's we're all stories in the end which looks at new adventures and eighth Doctor books as well cool so feel free to give that a go as well plug plug for our podcast pals absolutely so we probably rabbited enough what was the contemporary review in Doctor Who magazine what did that have to say about this well I've just uh, summoned my DWM archive and found this review has been written by my co-host of a few days back there Mr Matt Michael and Matt says about this one Writer Stephen Cole captures elements of the lead's performances extremely well. While the Doctor is as wacky as he ever gets, rolling words around his tongue like gobstoppers, Martha's delight to be discovering a whole new environment. Smart and inquisitive, Martha's deductive reason is well tested as she tracks who might be an alien in disguise. Surprisingly, the leading suspect turns out to be just an elderly racist. Best of all, Cole makes great use of his villains. The Zygon's boy meets squid sliminess has graced numerous books and magazines prior to this novel. Not bad for a monster that only appeared on TV once back in 1975. Playing to their on-screen strengths, Cole has them operating with the waters of the Lake District and in the gothic corridors of country houses, even lonely straw-filled outbuildings. Most interestingly, Cole uses their most unusual aspect, a reliance on scarus and milk, to forge a different take on the Zygons, presenting them as more threatened and therefore more dangerous than ever before, especially as they're protecting their maggoty younglings. It takes a hundred or so pages of wandering around the lakes before Cole begins to get to the good stuff. However, once Sting of the Zygons gets going, it does build to a frenetic and compulsive climax one that makes up for the comparatively flavourless first third. Bit harsh, Matt. I, 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 don't, I don't know you well enough to really say, but I disagree completely. I felt there was the balance was kind of perfect. It was, you know, the excellence sort of part one, almost. Yeah, you know, the build-up, the slow build-up. Because, I mean, it's slow build-up. It kicks off with the, the scarus and trashing the, the village and people being dispatched and all that sort of stuff and then you've got the bit with Edward Lund being chased and having to jump into the water and all the stuff with his dog and the slow burn of the mystery but is it the ghost of the little girl and all that sort of stuff Matt come on read it again see what you think about it now it's a great book isn't it it is it really is I enjoyed it a lot it's another one that I would recommend having read it being able to read this one um, it's one that I would recommend unconditionally give it a shot it's, I'm not sure if the, the reprint is still available we will get one on eBay I'm sure without too much trouble but it's it's well worth your time Yep, and just make sure if you are going to buy it on eBay, make sure that you pay a decent price and don't get stung. There's that tumbleweed again. Or am I too harsh? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. So, Dave, that's it. It's the end of day 11. And we should say massive thanks to Stephen Cole for giving his time to talk to us again. 
say a Ken, you know, you know what I mean. Kenny's bottomless address book. Steve, <laughs> we really, really appreciate it. We appreciate you, and we appreciate all you did for Doctor Who when it wasn't on telly. Just some man. I agree completely. Given that he made so many episodes of Pieces of Eighth, Absolutely. past and indeed future, Absolutely. possible. He's so a good guy, go. one of the best. He is. Legend. So, Dave. Yes. We're nearly out of time. We are. But I'm going to ask you a question today. Okay. Dave, what are we going to play out with today? Well, listeners, Sting. What else could we be? This is my favourite Sting song. A bit sappy, but I'm a bit sappy. We're playing it with When We Dance. Can Zygons dance? Probably. Dance of the Zygons. There we go. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. <laughs> By Stephen Cole. Um, that's the missing chapter from Once in Future. <laughs> it would feature the... Zygons. Feature the Zygons, obviously. Which Doctor would it feature? It would feature the David Banks Doctor and some Zygons, but teamed up with... Rutans, shape-changing. Yes, uh, Zygons fighting Rutans with the David Banks Doctor and a guest appearance from Fraser Hines' Jamie because it's a Loch Ness Monster story set 100 years ago. There you go. <laughs> right, It writes itself, listeners, sadly. Right, yep. we'll see you tomorrow where I do even more talking than I did today. Yes, you will do because of the wibbly-wobbly timing it wind me with nature. We've done it already. We have indeed, which is quite <laughs> appropriate, but find out what we're talking about in 24 hours. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.